This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It has been quite an ordeal to get to... uh recording time today for this week's episode of the show before the show podcast i had a whole thing getting food was a pain and figuring out how to fix a corrupted audio file was a pain for an interview that we have today and everything's a pain but here we are hello (laughs) Hello, making you're making arizona sound so lovely tyler it's just you know what a bear to be down here for spring training uh no it's been great hi everyone i'm tyler mon he's sam dykstra it's uh this week's episode of the show before the show from milb.com we are in your uh your podcast feeds as minor league baseball podcast and that's what we talk on this show hello sam you're back you're in new york hello tyler I am back in New York, yes. Um, I was briefly in New York to begin the week and then had to go up to Massachusetts and New Hampshire uh, for some things. And, and now I, I've walked into my house here in Brooklyn about 15 minutes before we talked. Oh, so, okay. I didn't realize uh, it was that I am close. in New York for the long haul. I am here until opening day. And, uh, yeah. That is fantastic. Um, well, uh, before we get started on this week's episode of, uh, the show before the show, uh, I want to extend, we've got a, a buddy in the office, Andrew Batafrano, who is, um, as tough of a dude as anybody you will ever meet. And Andrew, uh, deals with Crohn's disease and he has been having some issues as of the last few weeks has been in and out of the hospital. And, um, you posted a, a picture earlier today and, you know, he's there post-surgery with his, his gown on and the oxygen on. And, uh, and we're, we're all behind you, man. We just wanted to let you know that we're thinking of you. And, um, Andrew and I have actually never even met in person. Um, but he's such a good dude and he's such an easy guy for us to work with. And, uh, and he's, he's as tough as they come tough as nails, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, uh, Andrew and I actually went, I don't think we were at BU at the same time, but we both come from the, the same student newspaper. So stock. Yeah. He's, he's BU tough for sure. And, uh, yeah, we can't wait till he's back up with a MILB.com byline once again, which hopefully will be very soon. Hopefully it'll be soon. Um, so with that, thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the show before the show, uh, wherever you found us, you can give us a rating and review and a subscription. Uh, you can give us a follow on the tweets as well. Uh, Andrew might have the best Twitter handle of all of us, by the way, he is at Andrew at bat B a T T because his last name, bat Ferrano. uh, Sam's at Sam Dykstra, M I L B. I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, you can get in touch with the show, podcast at MILB.com. Uh, we had a guy email in last week. He hates the new music. Um, you know, change change is always, uh, it always comes with pushback. We had to we had to grab people, stun them. Yes. Like yeah, no, I think people, this is our third <laughs> new theme song, right? We've, uh, yeah, we've gone through yeah, three iterations. This is, and this we're time. in season number five of the show. So we, yeah, because the last one that we used, we used for um, two full seasons and all the way into the start of this year. 
Um, yeah, man, we're, uh, you know, had to get a redesign at some point. Yeah. You know what we should have done? We should have done like the wire and just done the same notes just in different styles. That would have been great. Every time. Did you ever notice that about the wire? Uh, you know, I never watched the wire. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not going to be that type of person who's going to get on person. No, no, I won't be that okay. type of person. Thank goodness. No, I, I, uh, I started it at one time and then, you know, I got sidetracked and never went back to, I really need to. The problem is I have a, I have a bad attention span nowadays in the year 2019 with things that are not in HD and the early seasons of the wire are like in the old letterbox standard def format and i just like i flip it on i'm like what is this what am i watching newsreel footage from the 1920s it's terrible i was gonna say 1992 but yeah that might as well feel like the 20s now (laughs) it's a terrible problem to have um so anyway thanks for joining us this week you can give us a rating a review and a subscription and get in touch and with that we'll get started on three strikes uh i'm in arizona that's what we're going to talk about. Sam is back from Florida. Uh, we'll talk about that in strike two. I'm going to tell you about Arizona here in strike one. Um, Sam, let me get your thoughts on this. I was I was texting about this with a buddy of mine who's down here um, for the month as well. and uh, Discussing, it seems like a lot more of the prospect excitement right now is on your side in Florida. Not to say that there aren't exciting prospects here in Arizona. There obviously are. Fernando Tatis Jr. is here, although he's been a big league camp. Didn't get a chance to see him. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is here, although in some contract news, we'll talk about that. And he was apparently under the weather today. I was thinking about trying to head out to, to White Sox camp after that news came through. Uh, but he did not play, from what I heard, was scheduled to go in a minor league game. But Vlad Guerrero Jr., obviously a, uh, a Gulf Coast League guy. Victor Robles, MLB.com's number four, a Gulf Coast guy. Uh, Royce Lewis, number five as well. Forrest Whitley and Kyle Tucker, number seven and eight. Alex Kirloff, number nine. Bo Bichette, number 11. It just seems like the systems here, while there are good systems, I remember a couple years ago, Josh Jackson and I had no idea how we were going to cover everything that we wanted to get to and this year's just a little bit more muted around here there are a lot of top prospects that have graduated i think a lot of the talent and the systems over here is a little bit younger is a little bit more down the line um there's also some guys who we weren't going to get a chance to talk to because of injuries and other things joe adele kind of comes to mind for that um but it's it seems just like a different vibe out here this year for some reason yeah i guess you could kind of speak to that better than i could i i don't know i i can't say that I've looked at Arizona and just thought like, nah, there's nothing there for me. Um, and that's why I go to Florida. I just go to Florida because obviously it's easier to get down there for me here on the East coast. But, um, I mean, yeah, you look around Florida and there's certainly excitement almost at every turn. I mean, I, I was not wanting for stories, even going to the, the Yankees system, Last week, I thought that might be like, oh, the only reason I'm here is because it makes most sense with my schedule. But otherwise, there aren't any prospects here that I'm really excited about. And then you arrive in camp and you start thinking like, oh, no, there are a lot of really high octane arms here. And let me get some thoughts on that and had a really good Q&A on that. And then seeing Josh Towers, Homer. Um, So I don't I I, I've never really thought about it that way. I mean, I'm really happy with the stops I made and getting to see Ray's camp was really cool. I mean, that's a really deep. Uh, system and anywhere you look but I mean I would have liked to have seen what Angels camp was like I I would like to have seen especially Padres camp which you got to go to 
pretty jealous of that and White Sox camp kind of similarly. So I don't know. I, I hadn't thought about it that way, to be honest with you. You know what I'm bummed about? Uh, I was at Padres camp two days ago, and we'll hear from a member of that organization uh, here in a little bit. But the day before that, the day when I was at Angels camp um, and at A's camp prior to that, the day before that, uh, the Padres had a day on the backfields in which Mackenzie Gore was on one field throwing and Adrian Morahone was on the other. And I was talking to somebody at camp yesterday who said, like, they started the games – I think like five, 10 minutes apart. So the scouts could go from watching, say, Mackenzie Gore first. And then when his inning was over, they'd walk over and watch Adrian Morahone. And then when his inning was over, they'd walk back. That I'm very bummed that I missed because that must have been amazing. But I did get to see Luis Patino yesterday throw a little bit. Um, he was really fun to watch. And uh, there are definitely a lot of really interesting components to a lot of these systems. But I don't know. Just uh, You know what I think it is? It's because there's no Josh Jackson here with me this year. Yeah, see that that could be. It's just like a little. It's a little quieter. I think Josh would just bring so much enthusiasm that everything would feel exciting. And we have uh, you know good existential talks and everything. It's uh, we miss you, buddy. We miss you. But he's got a new dog to take care of, Um, so he's he's occupied. But yes, (laughs) to to wrap this thought, uh, Arizona. I've been down here uh, for the last few days and, and got a chance to visit a whole bunch of camps. Went to. Rockies camp on day one because we have our uh, prospect primers already rolling out, which every year without fail, I save in my computer as organization all-stars. Um, but I started the uh, the Rockies prospect primer story, got a chance to talk to uh, their farm director, Zach Wilson. Also talked with former first round draft pick Riley Pint for a story that's up on the site right now and kind of gave him the the angle of, you know, you're not really a guy that people are front of mind with right now. What does that feel like? And he was very relaxed. I was like, you know, it's kind of nice. Like I'm not out here signing autographs. It's not all the commitments that I had uh, from a couple of years ago. And guy who is back to health and feels like he's ready to go for this season. Um, I had Oakland athletics camp as well uh, two days ago and got a chance to go uh, actually from A's camp to angels camp. The A's sent their double-A AA and triple-A over to Tempe um, to play in games against the Angels prospects and caught up with uh, Oakland's number three prospect, catcher Sean Murphy, who could not have been a better interview. And I have to give Sean Murphy a specific shout-out. He was a fantastic interview while walking to the bus. <laughs> I, they got they got done. I knew they were leaving. I was like, hey, you want to talk for a few minutes and walk? And he was like, yeah, sure. And he stopped for a second. And we talked for a little while. And then I was getting set to ask him a, another question. He was like, actually, yeah, do you want to walk? Because I don't want to miss the bus. And I was like, I don't want you to miss the bus either. And then gave me a whole bunch of like really thoughtful answers while we were walking. It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, but Sean Murphy, uh, that story is up on the site as well. Uh, went to Padres camp yesterday. You will hear an interview from Padres camp that we'll set up here in a little bit. Um, and then uh, Mariners camp there as well, the same facility in Peoria. And I uh, was going to try to talk to Jared Kellenick. He was actually given the day off yesterday. The New York Mets first round pick from last year was traded to Seattle uh, in December. And then uh, today was a uh, little bit lighter day. Went to Brewers camp in the morning. And uh, caught up with Keston Hura, who is still in Major League camp. They did tell him yesterday, and we're recording this on Thursday night, the 21st. They told him yesterday that he will be going to AAA San Antonio to start the year. Um, But, which is weird to say AAA San Antonio. Uh, But the new AAA affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers, he'll be headed there. But he's still in big league camp right now. And so just kind of soaking up those lessons. And, um, you know, there's a lot of excitement with with these systems, whether it's the Padres where – 
you feel like if you spin around in a certain area, you're going to slap a top 100 prospect somewhere. Um, it's between that and, you know, the A's coming off of a season where they surprised everybody. And now they're getting all these dudes closer to the big leagues. Obviously, there's Jesus Lizardo news that we'll talk about today. But A.J. Puck seems to be back and healthy. Um, some of the things that maybe they were lacking last year in pitching depth. That stuff's coming along. Uh, the Rockies are coming off of back-to-back playoff appearances for the first time in franchise history. They've still got some guys who are uh, on the verge of graduating. Um, so it's been fun. It's been a, a fun few days, and uh, this is always a good week. It's always one of the best weeks of the year. And it's such a strange stretch this time because Major League Camp wraps up for teams on Sunday. The big league teams are out of here on Sunday. Minor league guys will hang around for another few days uh, and then minor league opening day the following week. But major league opening day is the 28th, um, unless you're the Mariners and A's, in which case you got two down already of 162. Um, But it's strange because it's, you know, the Mariners and A's, their big league camps have been gone for like a week, um, or their big league teams, I should say. Everybody else is going to be gone on Sunday. And then I was talking with Ed Sprague, the A's coordinator of instruction. I said, it's kind of like being in class with your teacher being gone. Like all the minor leaguers are just going to be around. Coaching staff on the major league side is going to be gone. All the big league guys are going to be gone. Just like hanging out, doing your own thing on the uh, on the minor league side. But it's uh, it's been fun. It's been a good several days. Yeah, no, it's a busy several days too. I mean, you, you mentioned a couple times in there one of the benefits of, of Arizona and getting to go to multiple camps, Yeah, um, which I, I'm always really, really jealous of. Um, with Keston Hira, what was that conversation like? Uh, I read your story and it was, it was very good and really interesting. And it, I think you made the point on Twitter how funny it is, how people take to him and you know people who know him well are excited for him but what was the conversation like for somebody who is in big league camp but knows he's starting elsewhere yeah it was interesting because uh you know he said um i'm just gonna try to do whatever i can uh wherever they send me and then he caught himself and said in san antonio um so you could tell that he's just kind of been in this mindset of getting set knowing he probably wasn't going to break camp with a major league team but getting ready for wherever he was going to be to start this year i think it would have surprised pretty much everybody if he was sent back to biloxi uh to start the season with how strong he finished there but um the one thing that i that i really like about Kesson Hira and I talked to him I think this is, this is our first in-person conversation but I think it's the third or fourth time um, that I've talked with Kesson and um, I'll say this he this is such a small thing um, but if you're a young athlete or a young journalist this really stuck out to me today he's sitting in his locker um, the major league clubhouse opened at about eight o'clock and I walked over to him and just said hey Kesson I'm Tyler Mon with uh, with minor league baseball MILB.com and he stood up and he said, hey, Tyler, I'm Keston. And just stuck out his hand, shook my hand. And guys always, you know, they'll shake my hand, they'll be polite. But to introduce yourself to a reporter, I thought was just like very mature. and very, You know what I mean? Like that's just a little, it's a little tiny thing that just makes you feel like, oh man, yeah, this kid's, this kid's got something. And it's, there is an aura about Keston Hura, I will say that. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there usually is in guys who are first round picks. I, I, yeah, I was thinking about this the other day and how, you know, we usually judge first rounders harshly. And, um, you know, what what type of person gets to be a, a first rounder is usually talent filled, but it's also usually character filled as well. Um, you know, people really do their homework on, on first round picks and they don't want to waste it on a guy. Usually they don't want to waste it on a guy with character issues who's going to you know yeah. make sure he doesn't get much out of his talent. 
Um, so Castaneda fits almost perfectly into that. You know, Brewers knew what they were getting in the person and knew what they were getting in the player. And we're seeing that already uh, with how quickly he's moving up. And, uh, you know, Mike Moustakis experiment at second base, which sounds like it, it would be a great band name. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested to see how that's going to work out, especially with Hira being as close as he is to the major leagues right now. Um, you know, Mike Moustak is a very good player. What is he going to be like at second base with shifts and all that kind of stuff? It, it'll be a little different, but uh, here's here's going to get his chance in 2019. I, I don't doubt that. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but I just thought there was a it was a very cool moment. Um, a dude who has a really good head on his shoulders and is obviously very set for what is to come, but isn't really getting ahead of himself. Um, and I think the Brewers have to be very thrilled with what they've gotten there were some teams who were kind of scared off from Keston Hira there was a thought that maybe he had a an elbow issue that was going to require Tommy John surgery really early on in his career uh that has not happened thankfully knock wood uh, for both him and the Brewers and defensively an infielder all through high school he was moved to the outfield in college the Brewers put him back at second base and he actually singled out the the shift thing he said there's a lot of different stuff to learn um you know at the professional level from positioning and shifts and you know you're fielding and throwing in different areas of the field where you never did that in high school and um and even into college he still took ground balls and did work at second base while he was in college but he is uh, a very very uh advanced prospect in pretty much every regard and uh he's an easy guy to cheer for and brewers fans have another good one on their hands whenever he arrives uh at the major league so that has been uh, kind of the run through arizona um sam was back home in uh in new york after several days in florida and also uh you headed up to the to the north well i guess new york is kind of in the northeast you were in new england right it's yes a, it's all yes. you have too many regions they're all small i don't know where they overlap but tell me about the final few days in florida and uh in the last few days since you got back yeah in the big non uh the non-northeastern state that i was in uh, on monday as crazy as that feels now um yeah so i think the last thing uh, you know i talked about last week was probably going to yankees camp um, so after that, after we recorded, I got to go to Ray's camp. I went to Marlins camp and I went to nationals camp. Um, just kind of going through those quickly. Yeah. So I went to Ray's camp on Thursday. I went to Marlins camp on Saturday and then went to nationals camp on Sunday. Um, one thing that stood out to me immediately when I think about the trip on, on the whole was getting to see Wander Franco, uh, with the Rays. I got to see looks at him from both the right side and the left side, uh, which is really neat as a switch hitting shortstop. One of the most promising prospects we have in the game right now after he tore it up last year at rookie advanced Princeton. Um, but you know, he's still very, very young. It, it, this is kind of another spring of him. It, it's very clear to me that the Rays are preparing him for Bowling Green for, you know, a full season. Not that it's unexpected, but you know, they were being pretty forthright about that, uh, in my discussions in camp. And, uh, you know, in my looks with him, he hit two screamers, one of which went right at the shortstop, uh, probably would have been a hit if it's, you know, an inch to the left, inch to the right. Uh, and the other one was actually a really, really good piece of hitting, um, batting from the right side. I think it was, yeah, it was from the right side. He, uh, 
they put on a hit and run, the Rays did, and he saw that and put the ball right where the second baseman would have been. Uh, you could see it. You know, he was sitting back on it. He was angling it. He was doing everything he should be. Um, it just really, really speaks to his hand-eye coordination, how good that is at this young age, what he is able to do with the bat, um, his sense of what to do in certain situations. It's not just – you know, I'm going to put up the best exit velocity I can and hit this as hard as I can, and that's how I'm going to stand out and get my hits. It's doing situational hitting, um, which you don't see that young age. It, it's usually just, you know, I'm going to show off all my tools and, and we'll refine this later. Um, he's already at that spot, which is really neat to see. Again, only two at-bats, as small a sample as you can possibly get, but when you can see the talent coming through like that, it's really, really exciting. Um, speaking of seeing the talent come through, I got to see Jorge Guzman pitch. Actually, I shouldn't say Jorge Guzman. MLB came out with a pronunciation guide. I don't know if you saw this, Tyler. They came out with yeah, the, I, uh, I saw some of the, the posts about it, yes. Yeah, so they came out with this pronunciation guide for guys who were either in big league camp or on the 40-man roster. Very helpful. Um, you know, I'll be the first to admit I'm not always great with pronunciations. But the man previously we believe to be Jorge Guzman wants to be called George Guzman. Okay. That's how it said. I remember Jorge Posada did that for a little while. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna go by what the pronunciation guide said. George Guzman. A lot of people might know him as one of the prospects who came over in the Giancarlo Stanton trade. Um, The Yankees or the the Marlins, a lot of whom, you know, have come from the Yankees, uh, led by Gary Denbo, uh, loved. Guzman's velocity at the time they were saying he's the hardest throwing starting pitcher in in minor league baseball um claims he would hit 103 I think he backed that up last year at class a advanced Jupiter uh, I didn't have a velo gun on me I can't tell you what his velo was but it, just anecdotally the ball has a different sound coming out of his arm it, it's really neat it, it's got a like audible zip to it uh it just pounds the catcher's glove um what i could observe w- were the results i mean guys were just rolling over the fastball um couldn't touch it you know he was playing with double a players mostly or going up against double a players mostly so um you know that's about the level he probably should be the off-speed stuff um even now it, i i didn't see much improvement with it it the only thing that was advantageous about the breaking stuff or the even the changeup was that it wasn't coming in at 100 miles an hour. Um, so if you're sitting velocity and all of a sudden you have this breaker coming at you, it's going to get you off balance. Upper level hitters are going to be able to take advantage of that. Maybe they start sitting breaking ball more knowing they can't touch the velocity because when they do, it, it, it's not sharp enough yet. It, it's not really like he knows where it's going entirely. It's just a different look. Um, so I would like to see him tighten that up. But uh, he threw two innings in my look, uh, and in those two innings, it's real easy to see how he could be an elite reliever someday. Um, you know, something along the lines of Jordan Hicks, what the Cardinals have done with him. Um, Marlins are going to try to make him a starter as long as they can, but uh, Guzman was really cool to see. Also got to see Victor Victor Mesa homer. Um, he's coming off a hamstring injury that has held him back. He wasn't running at all. He was DHing. Was Anytime he made contact, wasn't actually running the bases, but he actually homered. Uh, so that was pretty cool. It was like a walk-off. Uh, he went deep to left and then just walked back to the dugout um, because he wasn't allowed. Major League camp uh, you know, wanted him to, to come in healthy, start off 2019. Um, but to see him in game action like that and start to get his swings together is certainly encouraging. Uh, over in Nats camp, 
I actually saw more Mets than I did Nats, to be honest with you. I uh, saw a little bit of a boom in the Major League game. Um, but what really stood out to me was Pete Alonso homered in the Major League game, went oppo uh, on a ball that looked like he just flicked it out to right. A lot of discussions in Queens right now about, uh, you know, Pete Alonso basically earned his way onto the major league roster. Nobody's doubting that with what he did in 2018, leading the minors in home runs. He's taken that power to the spring. He's done everything he should have to win a major league spot. Defense is still questionable, but at least the bat is good enough and, and ready. And Mickey Calloway has even said there's no case against him at this point. Um, are they going to put their money where their mouth is? Are they going to let him be on the opening day roster? Still kind of out in the air. Dom Smith is also at a strong spring. Um, not stronger than Alonzo's by any means. Maybe strong to kick Alonzo to Syracuse. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but also on the backfields, I saw Denzel Lindsay uh, hit a triple, which is really neat. He's somebody who's really tooled up. The Mets have always talked about if we can get him out there for 100-plus games, uh, he'll be a really exciting prospect. That just hasn't happened yet in his career. Um, but I, I got a flash of that. He probably could have gone around inside the park to be honest with you i kind of wanted the third base coach to send them um but they didn't do that for obvious reasons it's spring you don't need to be pushing for that uh but really good speed hit the fence on the fly uh really cool stuff out of him and i got to see tim tebow homer which was i saw some dude with no twitter photo respond to your video of it with stop in all caps yeah that was interesting they're always out there yeah, they're always out there, and they say nobody cares, and then it, it's my most viral tweet of the year. Oh, and uh, and they're taking time out of their day to respond to it, to tell you how little nobody cares. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I probably wouldn't have posted it. Like, uh, it, I wouldn't have posted it if he had rolled over to second base. Like, uh, <laughs> that's not what I would have done. But I literally just like, oh, I guess Tim Tebow's hitting now. All right, let me get up to the fence, put up my phone. Any homers on the first pitch? I mean, that was just like – uh, it, it it was something and of course as people po- pointed out it happened on a sunday <laughs> which of course it did <laughs> oh boy um so yeah we're we're counting down the final uh i guess really hours of our uh, our spring training voyages for this year i will head out tomorrow and um it's been good as always, it has been good. This year made me realize how much I really want to come back and do the Arizona Fall League again, which I haven't done for the last couple of seasons. So maybe uh, maybe this year. That was uh, a news item this week. Major League Baseball announced some changes to the AFL. Sam posted those. Uh, it will now start September 17th, the day of the AAA National Championship game. The AFL will kick off. Um, so that is really something for people who – you know, let's say write about minor league baseball for uh, a website about minor league baseball. <laughs> Used to be that there was a little bit of a layoff between the AAA National Championship game and the Arizona Fall League, and uh, those those folks, we will say, have been robbed of that. So that is something. Um, but strike three, we're we going to talk Aloy for strike three. Is that what we decided? Yes. Yes, Aloy Jimenez, according to uh, a source cited by Jesse Sanchez. Uh, of MLB.com, quote, the club, the Chicago White Sox, is finalizing a long-term deal with a highly touted outfield prospect expected to be worth a maximum of $77.5 million over eight years, including two club options and contain a $2.5 million signing bonus. The club has not confirmed the deal, which will guarantee Jimenez $43 million, a source told MLB Network insider Ken Rosenthal. Official announcement could have come as early as today. It did not. Um, but 
this is very interesting news. This entire week has been uh, rampant with news of extensions. Obviously, Mike Trout um, with what he signed with the Angels. But now we're seeing these young guys, and in Eloy's case, a guy who has not logged a single major league at bat signing uh, a lengthy and valuable extension. There is so much that goes into this economically and with the business of baseball that is way over both my pay grade and also my intellectual level to understand. Um, but this feels like it is the start of a sea change and the way things are handled in baseball. We're not seeing these big long-term contracts handed out to players who were over 30. Now we are starting to see, you know, Blake Snell agreed to an extension this week. The Cy Young award-winning uh, left-handed starter with the Tampa Bay Rays. Alex Bregman agreed to an extension this week. Uh, the third baseman with the Houston Astros. This is maybe the the new thing that teams are going to do. They're going to try to lock up these guys, avoid the arbitration years, maybe lock down their first two, three free agent seasons. Um, this is pretty fascinating. And for Aloy Jimenez, that's... $43 million if you never make the major leagues. $43 yeah. million. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the the thing I keep coming back to is that, yes, I mean, on the whole, it should be said, this is a team-friendly deal. Right. We saw, I mean, Tyler, you probably know the exact figure. I don't have it offhand. What did Nolan Arenado get? I believe in, it was 260 Right, but what did he get in arbitration for his Oh, final? yeah, for this year it was, uh, well, they never finally um, – Got down to a number. They uh, agreed to the the extension beforehand, I believe. But uh, he came in at twenty six million. The Rockies counted at like twenty two million, and I think twenty three is about what they're figuring he was going to end up getting, um, which would have been a record for for arbitration given to I think any position player. Yeah, no, he, he got one year twenty six million. Oh, um, okay. Then I am an idiot. Well, <laughs> it's it set a record apparently. Um. I don't know. That's that's according to Purple Row on two in 2019. Those uh, they, guys. yeah, those guys. Um, he agreed to a one year, twenty six million dollar contract. So that was in one year of arbitration. So if we look at that, you and you look at the Eloy deal, you you would think like, well, he could have had twenty six million dollars in one year, and that's later on down the road, and there's probably going to be salary increases. So yes it's possible that Eloy would have made a lot more money, but this is a lot of money he's getting offered right now. Um, doesn't have to worry about, you know, the whole one year agreements, pre-arb, all that stuff. Like Blake Snell, you mentioned, uh, signed an extension with the Rays, but before that they just renewed his contract. He didn't agree to the contract. Um, when you don't have arbitration, you, you don't set your salary. The team essentially sets your salary. They might increase it every year just to make you feel good and make you feel welcome and as a sign of good faith. But that doesn't necessarily have to happen. They can – but legally they only have to give you the minimum salary, which is I think – it's definitely six figures. I think it's around $600,000. Um, so Eloy gets to avoid all of that, doesn't have to worry about all of that stuff right now. Uh, he gets to make seven figures in his first year. That's a lot of money to have on, on your plate right away. Um, doesn't have to worry about going through arbitration, which if you hear any baseball player going through arbitration, it's it's a really rough process. You have the team that's trying to employ you arguing against you yeah. in front of you know arbiters that you are bad and you deserve less money. Um, meanwhile, they would love to you to come back and play. 
please. Um, it's a really tough process. He gets to avoid that. He doesn't have to worry about service time concerns anymore. Um, you know, it's going to be a sticky wicket for the w- White Sox who say, you know, they send him down. They, they legitimately optioned him weeks ago uh, saying he needed to go to Charlotte to, to get more at-bats. And now they sign him to this deal and he's probably going to be the opening day right fielder. Um, you know, how do they wiggle out of that and say like, oh, we didn't think he was ready then. He, we think he's ready now. Yeah, that's that's a thing they're going to have to deal with. Um, but I, I don't fault Eloy Jimenez for taking this this money because, yes, he can look at Nolan Arenado and say, I think I can be that in six years. But that's really tough uh, to say when you have guaranteed money on the table in front of you. Um, he, he It does come with two options. Those two options are club options. That means that if the club really likes him, they will pick them up and – you know, if he has the type of career we all think he he will, they're going to do that, and that's going to eat up some free agency for him. So he's not going to be necessarily in a position like Bryce Harper was this offseason or Manny Machado. Um, you know, he, he's going to be entering free agency a little later than those guys. He would anyways because he didn't enter the majors as quickly. But still, um, you know, he's going to be entering in his late 20s, maybe even early 30s. And as we're seeing, that's a tough time for free agents. Um, but – you know, again, I, I, I just can't begrudge a player for taking this much guaranteed money on the table before he gets to show what he can be as a major league player. Uh, we had this a couple of years ago with John Singleton. Um, he signed a, a deal before he was a major leaguer um, that did something similar, got him a bunch of guaranteed money. I think it was $10 million. It wasn't that much at the, at the time, but again, $10 million guaranteed. Um, and... George Springer had a similar offer. They were they were prospects coming up through the Astro system at the same time. Springer had an offer around the same. He denied it. He chose not to take it. And it's interesting now looking back because Springer probably made the right move. He's definitely going to make more than that in arbitration and, and in the years to come. Uh, Singleton, no longer a major leaguer. No longer. I don't. I don't even think he's a minor leaguer anymore. No, he's not. Uh, he hasn't played since 2017. So you can't even necessarily say that he made the wrong move. Um, you know, John Singleton has $10 million, never made the major leagues. He's set up for life. Um, that's kind of the risk. And, that, you know, that was that was my first season with MILB. And I remember um, there was a lot of really negative player reaction to that, um, especially from the union side, feeling like the organizations were going to start manipulating players. And, you know, for, for certain guys, John Singleton ends up not making the major leagues and out of baseball after 2017, still got $10 million out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean that again, the union, that's not the example that they want to set. Right. <laughs> they want to tell players like, this is what you could make. This is what you should make. Right. Um, and I, I, I'm not begrudging them from doing that. Um, but you know, I, I hope this is the start of this, not necessarily of guys taking the offers, but that they are substantial, that they aren't John Singleton money, that they're not even Scott Kingery money, that they're legitimate, you know, maybe the next one's going to be 50 plus million. I mean, who knows what the Jays are trying to do right now with Vlad Jr. Um, and whether it's in his best interest to take that. But um, yeah, it, Brandon Lau signed a, a contract with the, the Rays that is going to take up some free agency time for him as well. Uh, you know, you mentioned Mike Trout signed his extension. Paul Goldschmidt also signed one today. Blake Snell. Uh, you know, what kind of trickle down effect is this going to have and how far is it going to go? Is it going to go? Is it going to be until guys are major league ready or is it going to be even before that when 
a guy has a breakout year, let's say somebody like Alex Kirilov or Royce Lewis, um, you sign them to a major league deal, you can option them for sure. But like you, you lock them down that early. Is this where we're going to go eventually? I'm really interested to see what the trickle down effect is going to continue to be. Um, but for right now, Eloy Jimenez gets his money. Congratulations to him for doing that. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what kind of long-term effects this has. So that is three strikes for this week's episode. We do have one foul ball. There was some news earlier this week. The Toronto Blue Jays announced that they were going to give all minor league players, every single prospect in the organization on the roster of an affiliated club, a raise of at least 50%. Um, And the conversation coming out of that seemed to have either spurred or opened the door for there to be some transparency about the fact that Major League Baseball is now having uh, what seemed to be relatively far along conversations conversations with the National Association of Professional Baseball Clubs, which is the the what you know as minor league baseball, um, as to improving pay across the board, improving travel um, situations, improving living conditions, uh, all that type of stuff. This is uh, a potentially huge development, and um, it's obviously still very early on, but it took the Blue Jays really to, to push this snowball um, and and get it rolling. And I, I listened to some scouts at Tempe Diablo Stadium the day that that news came out and really start to talk about what this could mean potentially um, for players. And I think the, the agreement around the game is just how beneficial it would be, um, even just from the, the player standpoint of, you know, getting some better meals or being able to sleep in a more comfortable situation developmentally, how much that would benefit guys. But um, this is potentially a, a huge, huge development in the, the major league minor league relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting too, to see, you know, if, if teams follow through on this, um, you know, like you said, the athletic had this story about minor league pay. And then uh, shortly after that story, the Blue Jays say they're increasing salary. And then shortly after that story, uh, other ones come out that Major League Baseball is, is talking about increasing pay across the board for minor leaguers. Um, we'd love to see if we know a, a lot of the situations these guys are in. And, um, you know, it, it should be it, they are asked to do a full time job um, and they should be treated as such and they should be treated they should be paid, you know, hopefully a living wage uh, to make that happen and not just rely on signing bonus. So, you know, we'll be watching this closely. Um, you know, hopefully big changes are around the corner that are going to help out minor leaders and, and help give them the best shot to be the best baseball players they can be as they try to climb their way to the majors. So that's three strikes for this week's episode. Coming up, we got a different kind of conversation this week. Um, so often on the show, we talk with guys who are top prospects, or guys who are first-round draft selections, um, and and we hear their side of things, and those are guys who have signed for a whole bunch of money and have uh, some glorious pasts and futures ahead of them. Um, but a lot more stories in the minor leagues are like the one that we're going to hear next, and that is a longtime friend of the site and a friend to a lot of you, I'm sure, on social media. Todd Van Steensel, an Australian relief pitcher who has been with the Philadelphia Phillies, with the Minnesota Twins, and now with the San Diego Padres. Uh, TVS was released toward the end of last season. We talk a lot about the process of what it takes um, to go through a very uncertain time as a minor league free agent um, and going through the the signing process after he had the luxury of going home to Australia, getting a chance to play, getting some innings and some video and all that type of stuff. He'll tell you about that. Um, but it is a 
a very stressful time in the career of any player if you don't know when or if you're going to be playing the game again. Um, and this is one of the real good guys in the sport, and we're really glad that he is back and employed and uh, currently at San Diego Padres camp. But we talk about that. We talk about a whole, whole, whole lot more. Todd Van Cienzel, kind of one of the everyday guys in minor league baseball, joins the show next. Hanging out in the backfield at the Peoria Sports Complex with everybody's favorite uh, MILB Twitter follow and friend of MILB.com and Australian relief pitcher Todd Van Steensel. Uh You're a cult hero, man. Welcome. This is your first uh, appearance on the podcast. Welcome. Yeah, I feel big time now, which is uh, pretty exciting. <laughs> And being such an old guy, just don't get this recognition, so it feels nice. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, the re- you're, you're in San Diego Padres camp for the first time. It's your third organization, uh, and we wanted to go through kind of what it's like being a guy who gets a job, um, you know, relatively late in the process. You get a job over the offseason, come over here your first season in this organization. Not a lot of people know what the minor league free agency process is like, and especially for an international guy on your side, going back to Australia and, and playing in the, the Australian League over the offseason. Um, just walk us through, first off, I guess, your steps to this point. You sign with the Phillies as a young kid. Go. <laughs> so uh, in the 2008, I signed with the Phillies on my 17th birthday, which, you know, it was really exciting, really fun at the time. I had to finish high school first. So I finished that in 2008. 2009, came over to the Phillies, playing in the GCL for a year. Went back to spring training. I was, wasn't in good shape, but it, like, I took it for granted. I, I can say that now, grown up. And uh, they released me, went home, did a bit of self-reflection, realized I had a lot of work to do if I wanted to get back. So put the work in, and the Twins signed me in uh, June 2010. Uh, stayed at home that year. Then went to the spring training of the Twins in 2011. Uh, pitched really well in uh, spring training, pitched really well extended. Um, broke with Elizabethan, went to short season. Actually got to start opening night against uh, Noah Syndergaard, which was really exciting, but I'll never forget uh, that night because got the first guy out, opening night, everyone's excited. Next guy hits a home run, walk the next guy, next guy hits a home run, and the crowd start booing me, and then all of a sudden I hear, <laughs> I hear one guy in the crowd yell, send him back to Australia. And I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm way in over my head here. <laughs> that was but, welcome to Pro Bowl. Yeah. So I uh, finished the year in Elizabeth, and, and unfortunately after that year I got released again. So I was two releases before my 21st birthday and uh, didn't really know what to do, so I went back to school for a little bit and then uh, got a call to go play in Holland. So I went to Holland, did that for a few months, and while playing basketball on the street, messed up my elbow. My left elbow, thank goodness. And I had to go home and rehab that. So did all that again. 2013 comes along. I just played back home in club ball. I was playing right field in second grade, just having a bit of fun. Then started pitching the ABL and just out of nowhere, like my, my velo went up. I was throwing hard again and scouts started calling me and I was just like, oh, this feels like I'm 17 again. You know, people were calling my phone. Then funny enough, it was the twins that called and offered me spring training in, but I was like, well, spring training's two weeks away. I'm not going to waste any time, so I took it. And I was with them for the last five years, made three all-star teams, won two championships, have a ton of good memories, a lot of good friends, but that came to an end last year, and I hit free agency again, which is 
which brought me to San Diego. So let's go through the free agency process. When you get to a point where you're headed into an off season, um, and and Todd wrote a, a great piece for kind of a, an Aussie version of the Players Tribune uh, back home about sort of the, the minor league lifestyle and the process of you know what it's like when uh, when a team decides that your your time has come to an end. Um, you go into the off season, you're a free agent. I guess the nice thing is you get to go home and play in the ABL. You're not just sitting around with the stress of what am I going to do next year. But take us through from you know September October. Um, what's the process of contacting teams of, of getting those conversations started and then finally signing a deal? So uh, the Twins actually released me in uh, August. So my free agency kind of started a little bit early and had an agent that you know got on the phone straight away and sent out feeders to a few clubs. And at the time they're like, you know, uh, we're interested, but there's no space. So just get back to us in the off season. So. Um, so me and my agent, we like took a little break from it all and decided I'll play in the ABL. And uh, once I get some videos, some reports from that, he'll ship them out to a few clubs and then we'll try and get something going. So ABL came around in November. I uh, pitched in two games in the first round and my velo was good. I was healthy. I pitched well. Got some video, sent it to him straight away. And then, you know, not too long after the Padres were calling, a few teams were calling and free agency I felt like I was 17 again everyone's calling so it was really exciting and then uh, you know the Padres presented a really good opportunity and I was just this was one of the teams I really wanted to come to so it was easy to say yes straight away the the process of getting in and getting acclimated with a new organization or with the twins for pretty much your entire adult life and um, you know you get a chance to to move up from Fort Myers to Chattanooga a few years ago and pitch really well in double A but you're so familiar with that that span especially Fort Myers and Chattanooga and that system and you're familiar with the complex and the personnel and everybody this is not only your your first new organization in a while it's your first spring training ever in Arizona um, you're in a totally different organization different league I uh, don't know a whole lot of people coming in what is it been like getting used to essentially an entirely new lifestyle as a professional um it, it any baseball player tell you it's easy to make friends when you join a new team and that i didn't think that was going to be a problem at all because you know baseball players always have something in common but there were like a few things you know my first day walking around the clubhouse i looked like definitely looked like the new guy I had a big green and gold team australia bag around my <laughs> shoulders walking around the clubhouse lost looking for my locker then i had to eventually ask someone where it was <laughs> I had to ask someone, you know, where's the dining room? Like, where's the training room? Where's the weight room? And I'm walking around the clubhouse definitely looking like the new guy. And it's just like the small things. So I spent so much time in Fort Myers with the twins. I could walk into the training room, knew all the trainers' names, knew where everything was. I could help myself to everything. But here I was just, hey, where's this? Where's that? Hey, who's the guy I have to see for this? It's just, it's just all new, but like it's baseball. You get used to it. You start to figure things out on your own, and it's all part of it. When you get back out there, um, I would imagine everything kind of clicks back into place, and it's just playing baseball again. Your first few times out, you know, wearing a different uniform, working with different guys, throwing at different catchers, um, especially in game action, which has really just been going on for a week or so over here on the the Cactus League side. What has that been like? Uh, you know, getting a chance to get back out and actually be competing again. Um, with the new team, you definitely put pressure on yourself because you want to make a good first impression. And then, obviously, you put pressure on yourself out of nowhere, and things don't go the way you hope it does. And you start to get nervous when you have a bad day. But like I say, it's all part of it now. Like, you just got to find a way to make it work when you don't feel comfortable. Like, I've, I've thrown three innings this spring training at three different catches. So every every time I go on the mound, I'm having a mound of me saying, hey, buddy, uh, fastball, slider, changeup, one, three, wiggle. <laughs> and they're like, all right, good. So it's, uh, it's all new. It's all part of it. It's just... 
finding a way to make it work. You tweeted this story the other day, and, and we were talking a minute ago, and uh, you said the other day you were thrown to a catcher who, um, after you got done, you kind of started up a conversation and realized that he had just turned 17. Is that right? Just turned 18. Just turned 18. And so you are 28, uh, which by no means is old, but uh, you kind of refer to yourself as one of the old guys around here. What is the – the uh, when you're relating to players who are young, especially somebody who went through so much like you did as a young player, what do you talk to young guys about, you know, especially – the the younger dudes who aren't high draft picks who didn't get huge signing bonuses maybe the international guys what do you talk to them about what it takes to be successful um i um so i got to be a bit of a mentor to a few guys at the twins for a little while like they went through some tough times and i was like if you have need anyone to talk to i'm here but i'm not gonna go out of my way to be like hey man i think you need to do this need to do that but if you want to come to me i'll i'll be honest with you tell you what it takes like i know i'm not a big leaguer but like i've been around for a while i know like how hard it is, like, being away from home and away from loved ones, especially, like, for the international guys. Like, they, they're in a new country. They don't know what it's like. So I just like to be someone that they can come to when they need someone because I, I feel like I do have the experience, and you know, I've grown up a bit over the last few years. Baseball's forced me to do that, you know, so... I just like feel like they, I can be someone they can go to. The Australian community, um, I should I should say that you and I go back a little ways and it makes me feel very old when I think about the fact that you were like 19 going on 20 when we met in the first season of the Australian Baseball League. But, um, you know, you come over here and right now we're watching a, a backfield game between the, the Padres and Royals and uh, a guy who's working on the, the coaching side for the Royals, Alan de San Miguel, um, played for a couple of teams in the, in the Australian League. He's from West Australia originally and uh, he's been on the, the minor league side for the Royals for a little while he was with the twins for a little while you see those familiar faces or you see the young guys who come over what's it like being part of that fraternity because there's something different about the Australian guys especially the Australian baseball community which has produced 30 some major leaguers but really isn't the largest sporting code by far at home when you see those guys how cool is that for you it's fun I mean like uh, we have we have Tyler, uh, Tyler we have Jared Dale here his older brother's Tyler who I played with <laughs> But we have Jared here. I've never really played with him. I've played against him, but you just know he's an Australian guy. Like, he's someone you can go to. You can have a familiar conversation with him. You can talk about the footy back home, <laughs> talk about meat pies or whatever. And it's, it's just fun to see the Aussies. Like, at the Twins, at one point, we had 10 Australians, and we just had familiar faces. Like, we could have that taste at home whenever we wanted. So it's always good to be around another Aussie. And I just got to say hi to D-Sand five seconds ago, which was nice. <laughs> there are uh, very few guys who I know over the, the course of the time that I've been in baseball who have worked as hard as you. And to be 28 years old and still be in it and still have this shot, now be in the upper minors. When you think about the chance that it's still out there that someday you could be in the big leagues, you can make your debut, you could stride onto a mound at Petco or wherever. What does that mean to you now, still being in this versus maybe what it meant to you when you were 17, 18, 19? Definitely back then I didn't realize how much it would take to get this far. So if I made it somehow at a young age, I probably wouldn't appreciate it as much as I do now. Like I think about like guys that spend years in the mines and then making it, how that makes them feel and how it makes their family feel like they supported you all these years, like you do it for them. Like they're on this ride with you, you're not alone. Like if you know, I, I always think about like if I do get the call up, like that first call I make to my mom, like how crazy it will be to her and like hi Don <laughs> by the way how much it would mean to her and all that and like my brother's not a big baseball fan but I know he supported me my entire career because he knows I'm doing what I love and honestly without that support there's no way I could still be doing this like they've like there's been times where I've called mom like I don't think I can do this she's like no this is what you want to do I know you want to do it just keep going and you know you, you, as much as you do it for yourself you do it for the people that 
you know, care about you. And I feel like if I do get that call, you know, as emotional would be for me, it's what other people have put into it that would make it feel even more special. Todd Van Ciesel is one of the greatest uh, minor league social media followers. You can find him on Twitter at ToddVS35, one of the best dudes in the game, and it's good to see you, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Tyler is still in Arizona, still collecting podcast interviews, still writing stories, still a very busy man, obviously. So it's it's just me and Ben uh, for this third segment. But that means Ben's back for the for the first time, I think, in March uh, that we've had him on the podcast. Ben, welcome in. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, and it's great to be back on the podcast. Yeah, I was uh, took a quick vacation the first week of March, and then you were running around uh, the, the Grapefruit League and enjoying some spring training action and. Uh, our paths have barely crossed, and it's been a uh, been a strange month. But here we are, like nothing ever changed. Like nothing I feel ever good. Ever changed except for Roberto. I'm working remotely again today, uh, so if anybody thinks this sounds different and we're not in the same room, nobody can. We can't tell people where I'm sitting in relation to this week. That is true. So baby steps. This is not. We're not back to normal, but we're moving back toward normal, and that's the most important thing. And that's what we. That's our motto for the offseason. Uh, but one thing we talked about last week that I want to get your thoughts on real quick, Ben, because you weren't on the show, and you are such a special part of this show, obviously. Uh, it was our 200th episode. This is number 201 uh, for us here at the Minor League Baseball Podcast. You have been on so many podcasts with us. We try to make it week to week. What is your just kind of reflection on you know 201 podcasts, what, what we've been able to put together here and what we're still able to yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of fun to be a part of. I remember uh, years ago, the brainstorming for uh, for this whole idea to put it together and thinking it would be a good outlet, not just uh, for myself, but for MILB.com. And it's, it really has been. And I think you and Tyler have done great work on it. And uh, for me, you know, always trying to build my audience. Uh, I've, I've just heard from a lot of people through the years, uh, through Twitter, through email, through people I meet at the ballpark, who tell me they learned about my work and what I do uh, through the podcast first. So I'm also really appreciative of this as a forum uh, for people to kind of discover the sort of work I do about the business and culture of minor league baseball. And I'm truly appreciative to everyone who listens to this segment and to the podcast in general and who connects with it and who then therefore connects with me. Uh, Cause that's really what this job is about is, uh, you know, we're all part of this uh, kind of weird community and uh, I've always enjoyed it. And uh, I really appreciate uh, everyone who listens every week or however often you listen. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, and you know, as we approach the season now, this, this was a big week, so we should get right into that. Well, uh, Copa de la Diversión announcement came this week. It, you know, the last couple of weeks we've heard about how many teams are going to be involved. We've seen some uh, teasers on colors and how colorful this year is going to be. Uh, so I think on Monday we, we finally got the announcement of which teams are involved, what identities they're taking on. This year, I think the second year of Copa, uh, 72 different teams are, are being involved, which is really neat. It's really cool to see it expanded out that big. Uh, ben, as you were seeing all the names kind of come in on Monday and as you were starting to put together your own ideas on how all this went, what, what do you think? What, how does this kind of compare to last year? And uh, what does this do, next step do in, you know, for Copa de la Diversión and, and minor league baseball's intent to work with the Latinx Hispanic communities? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a, a huge thing for minor league baseball to be doing um, to try to diversify the fan base. Um, not only is it the right thing to do, but it just makes economic sense as well. Um, but it's one thing to say you want to do that and another thing to actually do it. And minor league baseball you know, has done a great job with this program, you know, from a very small pilot program in 2017 to 33 teams being involved in 2018, uh, where it really became a thing. And then uh, this year to go to 72 teams, so that's 39 additional teams from uh, the number who did it in 2018, um, you know, more than double the amount. And, uh, and you see teams taking risks, risks and being creative and being colorful with, this, with these identities and um, not too many just doing the direct translations or just changing the color scheme, but teams really going all out and creating new, vibrant, unique identities that will hopefully connect with the local fans and draw in new fans, but also just connect with the, you know, the larger... The, people in the country and in the world as well just through you know, through the internet a lot of these uh, identities have a lot of power uh, in terms of just being something that anybody would represent because they're colorful cool creative what have you and um, you know I have a blog post that's uh, be out uh, later today here we're speaking on when uh, on is it Thursday yeah now when people hear this it'll be Friday yeah so we're all still a little out of sync with everything here but I uh, got a blog post uh, just about to appear here on Thursday, and you can read it uh, anytime, obviously, it's the internet. Uh, but, you know, I was trying to focus on the six teams uh, that participated in Copa in 2018 who changed their identities to 2019. There's uh, six of them. And, the, and the, the thread you see through all those six teams is that they did a pretty conservative identity in 2018, maybe just did a literal translation of their name. In some cases, maybe just kept the same name and changed the color scheme. And you see teams who participated saying, okay, if we're going to do this, we really need to go all in and do it with a lot more energy and creativity than we did it the year before. So you're seeing more of that, and you're seeing teams who sat on the sidelines last year for whatever reason, who learned from what happened in 2018, and who in 2019 are coming on you know, really strong and creative out of the gate. And uh, with 72 identities all released in one day, it is like the, you know, it's like a, it's like the Christmas of the all season in terms of uh, so much to unpack and unwrap or however you want to put it in terms of processing 72 unique uh, minor league baseball identities uh, all in one day. It's a ton to keep track of. And uh, on Monday, on unveiling day, I uh, you know systematically created a huge uh, uh, Twitter thread of all 72 identities. So you can check that out at Ben's Biz. And, but that was also a great way for me. I kind of did it selfishly uh, to make sure I was fully engaging with each identity. And uh, going forward into the season, you know, I have a base of knowledge now as I, as I cover these things on an individual level. Yeah, and when you're putting these all together, um, you know, you mentioned there are six teams that kind of moved away from just the literal translations. Some of them, like Durham, went from Toros uh, to de Ojo, which is just the, you know, the snake eye, essentially. <laughs> the evil eye. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or El Paso, who went from, you know, they were just the El Paso Chihuahuas, just going to color it up last year, uh, now being the El Paso Margaritas. Um, so that's one theme we saw. But w- when you look at 72 different identities coming out at one time, was it were there any trends or themes that you were able to kind of piece together? Um, like a lot of things with minor league baseball, Sometimes it's hard to identify trends when there's just so many, but I think um, certainly a trend with unique identities and not just the direct translations. A trend in 
you know, really vibrant colors, you know, speaking to Hispanic culture and also just speaking to kind of breaking through the clutter of the internet and having something so vibrant and unique that it's gonna get a lot of attention. Um, I think trends, and we saw this last year, but it's continuing uh, trends along the lines of uh, celebrating Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos, um, because of how, what a power, a visually powerful uh, holiday that is and how it does tie into the, the, the overall Copa messaging and branding. Uh, so you see a lot of teams along doing something along those lines. Um, beyond that, you know, there's also just like like minor league baseball. There's a lot of diversity uh, within this, um, and uh, a lot of cool cool animals. <laughs> and uh, you know, maybe they're mythical animals, or maybe they they aren't, but just things that maybe aren't traditionally represented in the in the sports landscape. Yeah. in putting this together it, it really was tough for me to narrow it down to 10 um, you know I tried to focus on new identities that debuted on Monday and not ones that were uh, returning from 2018 um, so the ones I picked um, you know the Calavero State West Michigan with um, a really unique skull logo that has a uh, you know, West Michigan area code of 616 and the eyes and nose kind of incorporated in the skull. And uh, it's kind of like an Easter egg hunt of uh, little clues in that logo. So I really like that one. Um, usually I, I'm not too into the direct translations, but I love uh, uh, Myrtle Beach Pelicans, the Pelicanos de Myrtle Beach, because uh, they kept their existing Pelican logo, but then they made the, you know, so it's like uh, flapping its wings or its wings are, uh, completely spread out and they're all different colors and it's just such a striking logo so big fan of that one medusa's day lakewood um you know an octopus logo you know it's a jersey shore team and medusa's is such a cool name too uh so you know that one was on there and you know and on and on and on the sonia doris de uh, hillsborough who last year they just did a direct translation of hops the hillsborough hops but now sonia doris the dream uh, the dreams um which whether they're saying so explicitly or not you know you can't help but think of the dreamers and uh, you know that issue in american culture and uh so i really like that one and you could definitely do some you know, societal commentary with that one uh llama's day hickory uh such a cool looking llama with the uh you know very colorful uh, head covering and uh chomping on a furniture uh, a furniture a leg like a chair leg because apparently uh, hickory has a furniture making uh, history which i did not That's know that is okay i was wondering where they got that yeah, it looks like he's kind of smoking something or something, but uh, it's chomping on a furniture leg. Uh, the Sholo Steak Gwinnett, uh, that's X-O-L-O-S, and that's short for Sholos, I can't even say the word, uh, but the National Dog Mexico. But how cool is it just to have a team that starts with X now? You know, albeit an alternate identity, X-O-L-O-S. You know, I just love those letters together. Um, you mentioned the Fresno uh, Lowriders. I got excited about that one just because, you know, Fresno, the Fresno Grizzlies, uh, you know, they always go all out with their promotions and, you know, the taco truck throwdown leading to the standalone tacos identity. Um, 
So when they're the low riders, you know there's going to be a lot of low riders at the ballpark, outside the ballpark, and it's going to be such like a visual celebration. We mentioned Durham and the evil eye, the Malde Ojo. Uh, I love that logo and this weird uh, one-eyed creature. Uh, a lot to take in there. Uh, Gallos de, de Del Marva. Um, you know, the uh, Del Marva shore, Shorebirds uh, play in Salisbury, Maryland. Uh, Purdue is located there, so that's a, a nod to the chicken industry, but they have the strutting rooster as a logo. Uh, Pescadados de Carolina, the Carolina Mudcats, you know, that's such an iconic uh, logo they have, the Mudcats as it is, this um, catfish, but now it's super colorful and, uh, you know, kind of like a fish out of water, uh, taking on a whole new mentality, a whole new way of being. Uh, so those are my favorites. I think I hit all 10 as quickly as I could, but there's a lot there. and. Uh, you know, let me know your favorites on Twitter, email me, whatever. Uh, gotten a lot of great feedback uh, so far, for sure. And Sam, what are your favorites, or at least one or two? Mine, I, I said this immediately when it came out, and uh, I think the team was very pleased with me. And I, I may have promoted them a little too hard, but the Clinton Ulotes is... Yeah, they were mad at me, I didn't <laughs> But it, it's just such a fantastic concept, and something that's just so specific, but everybody knows exactly what that means. If, you, if you've ever had uh, Mexican street corn, you know exactly what the flavor is. Your mouth might be watering right now, just mine is. Uh, yeah, it is wonderful stuff. And if you live in New York City, as we do, it's a street fair staple. And, you know, you're walk, walking around New York City on a beautiful spring day, and you're like, oh, street fair. And my first thought when I see a street fair is, is Yeah, so. and, and the logo they have is, you know, this personified here. Yeah, those are both great. And uh, the Monarchas of uh, De Eugene, uh, you know, I didn't mention them because they debuted in 2018, but that's one of my favorite of all of them. And, you know, uh, Eugene, uh, their general manager, Alan Benavides, you know, is Hispanic, one of the comparatively few Hispanic executives in minor league baseball. So I think one of the reasons that one was so well done is like, you had someone who really understood the experience. Uh, both of Alan's parents are from Nicaragua initially. So whenever you have someone who can really tap into the Hispanic uh, experience, Latino experience, uh, you know, it's just going to be that much deeper and richer and able to connect with the fans in that community. So we'll be talking about this all season, obviously, as more Copa Nights are actually happening and we get to see the interaction on, on the field. We got to go to Brooklyn last year for a Copa Night. That was a lot of fun when they were in the FAs. Um, so we'll try to maybe get out to some Copa Nights 
yourselves this year and, and cover them on the ground. Uh, but speaking of promos, uh, Ben, you did a, a story this week as well. I think it came out today on Thursday. Uh, you've been doing this series this this offseason, working with Charles and working with the River Dogs, uh, kind of the making of a promo. And now that promo has finally been announced, and, and it's, uh, it involves the NBA draft. They're going to be doing a promo on April 13th. Uh, what can you tell us about now that the promo is announced, it's completed, and, and how this process kind of yeah, I mean, the point of the series was to kind of uh, try to give some insight into the, you know, off-season long process of brainstorming a promo and how many moving parts need to be in place and uh, how sometimes ideas are great, but they don't translate to a reality because there's so many, you know, boxes you have to check to make something work. Um, but, uh, yeah, so in this part three of the series up on MILB.com, uh, the, pro- the Charleston River Dogs' promo schedule is out and... Um, and the promo that we've been kind of hinting at in previous articles is now official NBA draft night. And there's a real two, two interesting elements with this. One is they're wearing jerseys that are like formal wear on the outside, the same way that, you know, NBA draft prospects on the night of the draft are always dressed in very uh, eye catching, you know, formal attire. Uh, but also how those guys, you know, often, uh, you know, lift their suit jackets. You know, um, and, and on the inside suit linings, they have, you know, uh, art that is personally meaningful. So on these River Dogs themed jerseys, they actually have team logos on the inside. Like you can unbutton the jersey and then open it up to show uh, the River Dogs logos on the inside, and that's never been done before. So you have a unique, never before done themed jersey element. But I think the real hook of the promo, and uh, you know, it took, did take a lot of off-season planning, is that Nate Coran, you know, the, the person I worked with on these stories. Uh, River Dogs promo director, he scheduled this draft night in April, this NBA draft night in April and not June, but there's a reason it's in April. Uh, it's more than 60 days before the draft takes place. And apparently, I did not know this, anyone can declare for the NBA draft as long as they are uh, 19 years old and a year out of high school. So at the ballpark that night, the River Dogs will be, uh, you know, set up a, a place on the concourse and have people be able to fill out paperwork so they are actually eligible for the for the uh, NBA draft, and the team will send them all to the league offices. So on draft night in June, uh, there will be all these River Dogs fans who have declared themselves for the draft and who are theoretically eligible. And I said to Nate, like, did you talk to the NBA about this plan? And he was like, nah, I didn't. I just didn't want them to tell me not to do that. So, you know, uh, they're just going for it. And uh, I think that's a funny hook, and that speaks to me, uh, the spirit, not just of the River Dogs, but of my like baseball. If you have an idea, try to find a hook that no one's ever done before. Yeah, that speaks to a dream I've had and probably a bunch of other people have had too. I always wanted to just declare for the NBA draft and make it a rule that like the NBA live games would have to make me as a free agent because I was technically part of the NBA. So I'd have like, you know, 15 jump shot, 10 rebounding, whatever, but I would have to be in the game because I'm technically an NBA free agent. Um, so I, I'm sure it doesn't work that way, but uh, this taps into a lot of dreams that I think. Absolutely. And your and your grit or hustle, the intangibles would be off the charts. Sure. Yeah, let's go with that because the things they can actually measure would be very, very low. It's what's inside that counts. Yeah, seed and all that. Um, so yeah, so the, those are the two big stories we had out this week. What, what else is on your radar uh, as we close in on opening day just, I think, two weeks away? 
I think the main thing is finalizing my road trip schedules. Uh, still working on that. I'm um, going to be going to less places this year, but hopefully more time in each place. And some of the details are still being worked out, but that's a big priority for me right now, as well as just making sure I have every single team's promo schedule in my uh, spreadsheet and logged and ready to go. So a lot of this is just, uh, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's as we move toward opening day. And uh, that's about where we are. And still trying to make sense of COPA in the meantime, because 72 identities, man, it takes a long time to process. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be a bunch of them that we're going to talk about during the season that we just passed over on Monday and then in the days. Uh, that's the cool thing about this initiative. It's, it's going to provide tons of things for us to talk about and go over it and watch it. Follow that for the next couple weeks and months as we begin the season here, like I said. Uh, ben, thanks for being back. It's so good to have you back. Follow Ben on Twitter, at Ben's Find the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be back, and I uh, hope we never go this long again. It was just too, uh, you know, it was just too long a time. That's all I can say. We need to do this uh, regularly or else I get depressed. <laughs> never leave us. Yes, I, I, will. I never will again. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to Todd Van Steensel. You can find on Twitter at ToddVS35. Big thanks as well to Benjamin Hill. Um, yeah, Copa being back this year, very cool. I got a chance to write up the story for it and went into the creative process with uh, the Tri-City Dust Devils, who will be the Veneros this year um the winemakers of the vintagers they got a really cool logo and a a really cool story behind uh that whole development um and what it takes to join the copa process and fan engagement and local community engagement and all that and just such a great initiative and the logos are great this year and um it's really cool to see the way teams are taking this and running with it and making making it their own yeah did, did you have a favorite of the ones that got announced i don't know if i can pick one there's one that i really love that is uh it's an understated one but delmarva delmarva came out with one they are the gaios the roosters and their logo looks like you could take that logo and plop it into like the mid 1950s in cuba and it would look Mm. exactly it would look perfect it's yeah. just this it's this very classic looking roundel logo a, a circular logo um it says gaios de delmarva and it's um got the the rooster in the middle of it and it says baseball club on or club de baseball on the bottom and it's just it's awesome i love it um but i don't know if i can pick a favorite there's so many good ones <laughs> you all right well uh, at least you named something because I was going to say out. you definitely can. This is we just had a whole segment of Ben listing <laughs> his true. ten favorites, so true. you can pick one. It's my cop out. Yeah, fair enough. They're like my children. I can't, <laughs> I can't decide. Um, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Thanks for tuning in. You can get in touch again. Podcast at milb.com. Sam is at Sam Dykstra. Milb. I am at Tyler Mon on Twitter. And uh, yeah, very few of these left before actual baseball. And for Sam, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 